0: Welcome to Policy Today, thoughtful discussion of current issues vital to the future prosperity of Washington State. Produced by the Washington Research Council. My name is Lou Moore, I'm the president of the Washington Research Council and I have with me here today, Chris Showbloom, who is our vice president for research and also Emily Makings, who is our senior research analyst. Today we're going to have a discussion that Chris will lead about Governor Inslee's capital gains tax proposal. Our governor is looking at new revenues that would be, will be needed to comply with uh, elements of the McCleary decision. And uh, he's also facing a culverts case involving uh, the Native American tribes as well as an increase of funding for state employees. So there's some pressures on the governor right now, Chris, and he's looking for some new revenues. He's also, uh, I heard him say the other day when I was down in Olympia at a luncheon that I attended, that he's looking for some Washingtonians to participate a little more fully in terms of providing revenue for the state. So what's up with this capital gains tax proposal?
1: Well, a lot, maybe not so much. It's a fairly complex proposal would uh, have a major impact on the state if it was, if it wo- was to be enacted. Uh, basic uh, provision of the tax. Um, the tax applies to natural persons. That's the term from the, from, from the bill. It does not apply to corporations. So it's, uh, it's on individuals. Uh, the base of the tax, those are the, the elements that are, are subject to tax, are certain, explain what I mean by certain, long-term gains reportable by individuals for federal income tax purposes. this would include any um, gains that the individuals enjoy through partnerships, limited liability companies, s corporations and trusts to the extent that these gains are reported on the individual's federal return.
0: Okay so let me stop you there and let's recap a little bit so it does it applies to people yes. not corporations that's right But partnerships, which can include uh, when they're in the form of a limited liability corporation or an S-corp where there's a pass-through of income, if if that passes through onto a line of the individual's income tax return, then it is fair game.
1: That's right. So if if that that, um, capital gains that the federal government would tax through the federal income tax on corporations will not be picked up by the state tax, but... Business gains that would be passed through to individuals and would be taxed at the individual level by the federal government would be picked up. The rate, uh, proposed rate, is 7%. Unlike the case with the federal um, capital gains tax, and and also, I think, as is unlike what is done in most states, unused losses in one year will not be carried forward to off set gains in future years uh, under the the Washington proposal. First, collections under the tax would be received by the state in April of 2017, and these would be taxes on gains uh, enjoyed in uh, calendar year federal tax year 2016.
0: So if you're a business person that has uneven performance that's not going to make any difference. If you have a big gain in one year then you pay a lot of tax. If you have a loss in the other year you have a loss but you can't even those things. You can't even
1: those things out. No income averaging. No income averaging on that through um, but you you know you may be able to Postpone taking losses until you have a chance to offset it against a gain. So there'll be some attempts to manage manage that, but it's um, it'll be imprecise. So you know, for in real case, you know, we just in the Great Recession we had this huge crash in stock prices, and uh, people lost a lot of money. And if you're forced to sell at the bottom, you had a huge capital loss that was of no immediate tax value to you. For federal returns, you could carry those forward into the future and offset future gains. For, under the proposed Washington State Capital Gains Tax, that kind of carrying forward would not be possible.
0: Okay. We're talking about capital gains. So what, are, what kind of gains are capital gains in terms of this tax?
1: So the, the bill uh, kind of specifies broadly what gains will be um, subject to the tax for Washington residents.
0: Before we go any farther, and what was that bill? What's the bill number? Oh, on bill
1: that? numbers. There, there are two bills. The, the bill in the in the House, which is eighteen forty-eight, and there's a companion bill in the Senate, five six nine nine. So for Washington residents, gains on the sale of real property that is located in the state. Real estate houses da-da, would be subject to the tax.
0: Regardless if it's your home, or if it's it's you sold it, or get, if you're it's low income. Yeah, or it's, all just, those it's just
1: all we'll, we'll get there. Are some exemptions that will okay. come into play with, a little bit later, but it's still all any, any kind of re, real estate sales is potentially subject to the tax. Okay. Personal property, tangible personal property, a vintage car, a um, painting, and so forth. Is subject to the ta- gains on, on, on sales of such property is subject to the tax if the property is sold in the state. Such tangible property, personal property, sold by a Washington residence out of state, will also be subject to the tax so long as the uh, property was present in the state at some time during the year in which it sold. So if you have a real nice vintage car that you take down to Portland and sell, you're going to be subject to tax. Sell immediately, you'll be subject to tax uh, on it. If you take the car down to Portland this year and sell it next year, you won't be subject to the tax. would that I was in that position. Mm -hmm. Additionally, uh, gains from the sale of intangible personal property, think stocks and bonds, is subject to the tax for Washington residents no matter where the property is located or sold.
0: Okay, uh, so if I have a mutual fund and it starts cranking 18% and I think I want to take a gain out of that mutual fund, the state is going to tax that.
1: The state is going to tax that. Okay. Then uh, for non-residents, Non-residents will also be subject to this tax. But for non-residents, the tax applies only to gains on real property located in the the state and gains on tangible personal property sold in the state. So we really are are, um, looking at at transactions where there's a physical presence in the state for the non-residents.
0: Okay, so does that mean if I purchase... A financial instrument from a bank located here, or that's what they're talking about? No. What does that mean exactly? So
1: so first of all, it, there is no tax applied to non-residents for intangible property. Okay. So it only applies to tangible property. So to go to my example, if, if you're an out-of-state, you're a non-resident who owns a vacation home in the state, hmm that would be subject to the tax.
0: Okay.
1: So that's a you, snowbird
0: alert, alert at this point. Then. Yes. Is that what you're saying? Okay.
1: Well, it's, it's a fun... It's, if there's somebody who's not coming here to escape snow, they're probably coming here to, to get rain. So I'm not sure okay. what we would call them. <laughs> yes. Um, and then also in the, the the car example, if you brought a valuable vintage car into the state and sold it here, you'd be subject to the tax. Um, okay. The bill calls all of these capital gains that are subject to the tax Washington capital gains. So, are there any exemptions to the bill? Yes, the there are several, I'm sure, that are going to be very close to your heart. Uh, but, but the first basic exemption is a personal exemption of twenty-five thousand dollars for individuals, fifty thousand dollars for couples. So, the first twenty-five thousand dollars of your of capital gains just escape tax, and it's only the amount about that. Did do it? Second set of exemptions worth talking about, I think, that are important for people are uh, exemptions for personal residence, your own home. Uh, main residence, not, not vacation homes. Um, so first, it, it incorporates the what is now the standard federal exemption for the sale of the home. Uh, so for a, a home that has been lived in for, that has been owned for at least five years and lived in for two of the immediately past five years, the uh, first uh, $250,000 of the home value for individuals and $500,000 for couples uh, is exempt from the tax. In addition, the, the bill provides a uh, full property, uh, pull, a full exemption for property that has been owned f- for 20 years and lived in for 10 of, the, of these 20 years. So you've got that, that uh, residential exemption. There is a, an exemption for property sold to government under the powers of eminent domain. If the state comes to you and say, holds a gun to your head and says, you must sell that property to us, well, then at least they're not going to charge you capital gains on that. Nice them to think of that one. That's a, that's a nice that's kind of nice. Assets that are held in IRAs, 401ks, those sorts of retirement accounts, ca- the any gains uh, capital gains in those accounts will not be subject to the tax. Now getting into the, the um, exemptions that that might be nearer to your heart, dealing with agriculture, if uh, gains from the sale of cattle, livestock, horses more than twelve months are exempt if the owner gets more than 50% of his or her income from farming or ranching. It's income in the year of the capital gain, and the income includes the capital gain for that calculation. And additionally, the um, gains from the sale of agricultural land will be exempt if the owner has materially participated in the operation of the land during the previous 10 years. Timber sales are exempt. A lot of times when when landowners, forest landowners, cut timber and sell it, that's treated for federal tax purposes uh, as a capital gains, and those gains will not be subject to the tax. And then finally, property used in the trade or business of the taxpayer is not subject to the tax if that property can be depreciated under the federal tax code. Okay. Uh, that'll actually be important when we get and talk about real estate.
0: Yes, it will be. Okay, so we have an ongoing debate in the state about our taxation, uh, whether we are taxing folks in the right way or not. Our listeners know that there has frequently been and continually there is some drumbeat for us to have an income tax if we are one of, I believe, five states that does not have a state income tax. So. My question is about this capital gains tax, is it really an income tax?
1: Well, it smells like one to me, a narrow income tax on just a subset of income that you could potentially tax. But the bill itself describes it as an excise tax, not an income tax. And the excise tax opposed on the privilege of selling or exchanging long-term capital assets or of receiving capital gains. Now there's a reason for this. The Bill writers are trying to walk a fine line that was drawn in 1933 by the Washington State Supreme Court. In two cases. Um, In the first case, a little bit of background. In 1932, the voters of the state passed two significant initiatives. One, Cut the rate on the state property tax in half. At that point in time, that was the major state tax, uh, and two passed an initiative to impose a graduated income tax.
0: And it should be stated that these were passed in the, in the election year where Franklin Roosevelt became president, and at it, the, and depths, suffering of, the Depression. At depths
1: of the great uh, yeah. of the Great Depression, there was tremendous fiscal distress from the property caused by individuals by the property tax, and. Uh, So the the income tax was immediately challenged as unconstitutional. And it was suspended by the district court that that heard this. And the legislature came into session facing now the loss of all the property tax revenue and, and the lack of the income tax revenue to balance the loss and passed the precursor of our business and occupation tax, which was also challenged as being unconstitutional. Those two cases moved together to the Supreme Court very quickly and he had a a decision in September. In the income uh, tax case, the Supreme Court ruled that income is property and that all of the constitutional constraints on the taxation of property applied to the taxation of income. Specifically, the state constitution requires a property tax to be uniform, and the graduated income tax was not uniform. So the income tax was thrown out.
0: Just to clarify that point, Chris, so they were saying that a tax that is what we call today progressive That taxes wealthier people at a higher rate than less wealthy people is not allowed.
1: It's not allowed. It would would violate the uniformity provision on property taxes. That's what they felt. But in the case of the B&O tax, the Supreme Court ruled that the B&O tax was not a tax on business income, but rather it was a tax on the privilege of doing business in the state. And that as such, it did not run afoul of the Constitution. So we see in the case of the, uh, now in the case of this capital gains tax, they're phrasing it as, uh, framing it as a tax on the privilege of receiving capital gains and hoping to fall under the precedent of the B&O tax Mm -hmm. and avoid the precedent of uh, of the income tax.
0: So do you think, uh, in, in light of these earlier decisions, do you think the court uh, is going to buy this capital gains tax as a legitimate form of taxation for our state?
1: This, this is not my area of expertise. I have opinions on this, but they're, uh-huh. they're not, it's not appropriate to share them because they just they don't matter very much. But one thing that's certain is that if the bill passes, it will be in the courts. Mm-hmm. I, think, yeah, I think we can I think count on that. Emily? So are we right to assume that people would be able to deduct tax payments that are to Washington from the income on their federal tax return? This is not clear. Today, only a limited set of taxes are deductible. Specifically, income taxes are deductible and property taxes. Excise taxes in general are not not deductible. If the federal government looks at it, the IRS, looks at this and says it's an income tax, then it would be deductible. If they actually take the bill on its face and, and decide this is not an income tax, it is an excise tax, then it would not be deductible. So I think, you know, it's like the authors of the bill are kind of hoping to have it both ways. Uh, they want the courts in the, the state courts to rule that it's not an income tax, but they want the federal government to rule that it is.
0: So they're counting on the adroitness of the attorney general's office, I guess, when they go to defend these actions. Should yes, they, yes, should yes. become law? Okay. So how much revenue would this tax raise if it should be enacted?
1: So in the first year, for, um, fiscal year 2017, um, the fiscal note on the bill estimates revenue of, of, in round numbers, $800 million. In the following two fiscal years, uh, fiscal year 18 and fiscal year 2019, which together make up the 17. 2017-2019 biennium. The estimated revenue is uh, 1.8 billion, in round numbers. And uh, to put
0: that, in, excuse me, Chris, but to put that in perspective, just for everyone to follow along, that would be 1.8 billion out of what? About 40 billion? Roughly? Yeah,
1: about 40 billion. I think when we get to that, to that biennium. Okay. Maybe a bit less, but they um, uh, say that there would be a, based on uh, past federal tax returns from uh, Washington residents, that there would be about uh, 32,000 taxpayers that would be affected by this. And they've indicated uh, in public testimony that much of the revenue from the tax would come from just 1,000 taxpayers. Um, but because vo- capital gains are so volatile, it's hard to have great confidence in, uh, in how much revenue this will come in two or three years from now. How volatile are they? Uh, it's hugely volatile. Hugely volatile. I've, I've looked at the at reports on federal returns from the state of Washington, looking at Washington residents who, remember, that's not complete. the complete universe of, of individuals are going to be hit by this, uh, that the total capital gains reported by Washington residents fell by 50% from 2007 to 2008. And then from 2008 to 2009, it, it fell by another 50%. So you, know, you have to remember, you don't add those two 50% together. You kind of multiply them. So it's a between, over the two-year period, it's a 75% drop in, in capital gains. The next years, we saw gains of from now the lower base, uh, 39%, 13%, and then 91%. But with all of those gains... In uh, that mo- last year there, 2012, the total level of gains was still less than you'd seen in, um, in 2007. So, so it's hugely volatile. And I, and, and I should say as an aside on top of that, I'm looking at the total value of capital gains, and I'm not accounting for the um, standard exemption that people get. And when you factor standard exemptions in, what remains should be even more volatile than yeah. the total.
0: So the council has called attention to this issue before uh, because there's been talk about an income tax being a more stable yes. source of revenue than uh, the, the sales tax and other forms of taxation. So that is not so,
1: correct? Well, this is the most unstable portion of income. So it would a capital gains tax by itself would be more volatile than a full income tax. But on top of that, what we've seen, the national studies have shown, is that since 2000, capital gains have become a greater share of the income tax, and income taxes are now more volatile than sales taxes. So uh, based on past past history, you might be able to argue an income tax could be more stable than a, a sales tax. But I have recent history that uh, uh, does not show that.
0: Okay. So when there are proposed changes and sometimes significant changes in, in how this state spends money, uh, but more importantly how it taxes, we have to look at other states, don't we, because of a business climate where businesses move or businesses uh, where it's a large factor for an economy or can be if a business locates uh, in your region. So. How does this 7% rate that is being proposed compare with the top capital gain rates in some of the other states?
1: So if you look across the 50 states and ask where a 7% rate would rank amongst states, talking about looking at the rate on the highest earners, at 7%, Washington would rank 11th highest. Now, it turns out that the highest rate in the nation is the 13.3% in California, which applies to, to incomes over a $1 million. Uh, and, and the second highest capital gains rate um, would be the 9.9% in Oregon. So I guess one could say we would have the lowest capital gains tax on the left coast, but that's, uh, that's not saying much. Cold comfort. Cold comfort, yeah. exactly right. <laughs> to loop back to two things I'd, I raised earlier, the Washington tax proposed, lacks a provision to carry forward losses. And there's a question of whether that tax would be deductible for federal tax purposes. Those two provisions mean that the, that the effective rate here is higher than the 7% rate that we were looking, I was looking at and that we were, we were using to compare uh, across states.
0: So there's a. am seeing that there's a, a structural awkwardness uh, here at minimum in that most states, 45 or so, have an income tax, and so they can operate the capital gains tax similarly to the way the, the federal government does, but we cannot because we don't yeah, have an income tax.
1: We would be the only state with a standalone capital gains tax. Mm -hmm. How hard would that be to set up administratively? Isn't that kind of a big... Administratively, the fiscal note believes that it's relatively simple, Mm -hmm. which I'd written down. They're only assuming something like 20 full-time equivalent employees to administer this. Mm -hmm. They'll just require people to lift the capital gains off of their federal returns, fill out probably just a one-page form. Append a check and mail it off. Not clear, you know. Enforcement may be a a bigger problem than they think, especially for out-of-state holders. Um, So uh, I I think I'm guessing that the the reality is that they're going to have to be a much uh, have a heavier administrative burden than they're showing. Uh, But we shall see. But I said we shall see, but we won't see because this (laughs) thing is not going to pass. (laughs) through the legislature.
0: Well, well, not at this point. Well, well, maybe we should stop there just for a second, and let's talk about the likelihood of this passing. I think uh, many folks, including uh, my predecessor, who has recently written that he uh, believes that uh, this tax is dead, DOA, it's not going to go through the the process. I'm not questioning that at all, but once you start to raise something of this uh, specificity that is being promoted uh, with the ardor that the governor is currently promoting it, Wouldn't it be fair to say that we're going to be hearing about capital gains uh, in the future and possibly be looking at an initiative or something like that? Uh,
1: I've heard speculation from people who follow the legislature uh, much more closely than I do that what we're going through now is a trial period where uh, there will actually be several different capital gains bills introduced into the legislature. Hearings will be held feedback will be gathered, and out of this process will come language that will be included in an initiative that will go to the voters.
0: And that could be, that outcome, I haven't seen any polling, but that outcome could be quite a bit different if people think only a thousand people are going to actually pay very much money on this tax.
1: Yes. It's useful to look at uh, Initiative 1098, which was the income tax initiative from several years ago, which was pitched in exactly that same way, that it's it's not going to hit you, it's just going to hit these rich fat cats who aren't paying their fair share. And it started off with very high approval ratings in the polls. But ultimately, it failed, at least in part because the, um, the population as a whole voting population whole, saw this as the first step to a broader income tax. Uh, And I think a case uh, campaign on a capital gains tax would turn on that issue. Mm -hmm. Sure. So if a capital gains tax were were to be implemented at some point, how would it affect the state's economy? So I I think it would, uh, one thing is pretty clear, it is it would raise the cost of capital for real estate development. Most of the, um, for real estate developed, um, uh, much of the investment in that takes place through limited liability companies, partnerships and such, so that the real estate properties, when they're sold, to extent they're owned by, the capital gains from that would flow through to individual uh, tax returns. There was that provision about depreciable property used in a business or trade being exempt, but uh, in many cases, the IRS uh, has ruled that investment in real estate is not a business or trade. And so that provision, would, because it's qual- because of the qualification to business and trade, would not apply, I believe. But this will be subject to interpretation. Uh, so by uh, imposing this tax on real estate development, it will ultimately cause rents to rise for office properties, manufacturing space that's rented out, and for apartments. So that's going to be a cause. The second thing that's going to happen is is that some individuals who have large capital, large exposure to this tax, will move from the state. Now, there's a relatively small number of people with large exposures, but for them, it really matters. Probably a small enough number you won't see them in the migration statistics, but it matters. And when they move, they will be less likely to invest in the state. And that's going to feed back. I mean, the loss of, loss of the you know the sales tax we get from their eating at restaurants and such things is minor. But to the extent that by moving from the state, we're actually causing them to disengage from the state economically, we could be a big losers. Second thing that will happen is that some investors who live and invest in this state will decide to avoid paying the capital gains tax by not taking capital gains. hold on to investments. They won't turn them over. And by holding on to old investments uh, and not turning them over, they're cutting off funds that would otherwise be used to fund new investments. It'll hurt our startup uh, community, and it will make the economy of the state somewhat less dynamic.
0: Okay. Well, this is one that we need to watch, and uh, I think it's pretty obvious from what you've told us, Chris, that this is complicated enough that there's probably going to be some unintended consequences should, uh, should it prevail, should this uh, methodology of taxation prevail in some way in the state. So uh, I guess we will just stay tuned, see what happens next. My name is Lou Moore. I'm with the Washington Research Council. I'm its president. Pleasure to be with you today and appreciate the work and efforts of Chris Showbloom, who's our vice president for research, as well as Emily Makings, who is our senior research analyst, who joined us today. Policy Today is a production of the Washington Research Council, dedicated to providing timely, credible research and policy analysis supporting economic vitality, and private sector job creation. For more information, go to researchcouncil.org.